Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Knicks Wall Podcast. Um, I am Anthony Corbo. I'm your host. You can follow me at... I'm back to at Wish I Was Corbo. I don't give a fuck. Um, on Twitter, you can follow my co-host. Uh, I have Kyle Maggio here with me. What's going on, everybody? He's at Kyle Maggio on Twitter. He works for Whistle Sports. Give them a follow as well. Uh, I've got... Uh, Mike Cortez with me as well. Going on, and that's at Cortez Era on Twitter. We're part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Check out our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Um, we live in a very strange place right now. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. We, you know, the, I think we were going to record last week, and uh, the news of the sudden NBA season closure came down on us uh, you know suspension postponement whatever you want to call it uh came down on us and yeah i think it was just kind of overall a little too shocking i don't think we even really kind of made the call that night we just kind of let it go um figured we'd come back to it with just a little bit of space and once we saw things are going to go down but uh just about everything is stopped right now um and we have all of us i mean we've always recorded this from home so nothing different here but um, but yeah, things are shut down. The NBA season stopped. The Knicks season comes to a screeching halt. Um, things are in a strange place for them, as was kind of usual, as much of a strange place as the rest of the uh, the NBA is in right now. But I mean, it's a really, really strange world to live in, where you know nothing's going on, but especially there's there's no basketball to uh, take our you know, attention away from all that. And that's kind of really frustrating right now. Um, Mike, how are you uh, handling this situation right now? I'm still adjusting. Uh, not to give too much away, but my town in particular is one of the epicenters for the virus. So we've kind of quarantined ahead of everyone else. So just getting adjusted to that. Uh, Knicks wise, it's just funny that the last moment we get from the Knicks was actually pretty solid. And one more rumor I wanted, not rumor, but belief amongst Knicks fans, I wanted to get out now while it's still in my mind. Everyone panicking about beating the Hawks, messing up draft odds. Where were you a couple of months ago? The Pelicans won 30-something games and won the lottery. Like, this, the lottery odds are so balanced. It doesn't matter if we won or lost that game. So please, stop. All right, I'm, my rant's done. I really appreciate that you still had that take in you, like that you've been waiting to get that take off for so yeah, long. Yeah, that's all point. I was thinking about for two weeks. Just because I saw it on Twitter, and I was just like, <laughs> it just kept getting me mad because all summer we were like, it doesn't matter. We can win games. We want to be somewhat competitive. And then people start panicking the minute we win a game. Like, oh, this could be the reason we don't get Lamel. Shut the fuck up. Like, do you just panic for no reason? Yeah. Yeah, totally. We, there's, there's one of those games every year. Like, whether we do well in the lottery or do poorly in the lottery, like, there's every single year we're in that position, there is a game that someone will point to as the game that stopped us from getting X player when really it doesn't really matter at all. 
all it's it's literally just a matter of ping pong balls um kyle what's going on with you buddy how are how are you doing right now how are you handling the whole situation what's been weird weirdest to you about all this so far uh i've been holed up in connecticut uh, no problems whatsoever and listen um taking this very seriously obviously we're all locked in but to me this is a good situation man you guys know how much i like being at home and how much i like working at home and uh that's exactly what i do now so so, so as long as i don't get the virus uh, i'm good with however long we need to be here i am prepared um I'm enjoying it. I'm sitting around drinking coffee, hanging with my dogs all day, eating snacks in my kitchen, uh, having a good time. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, making the best of it, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as, uh, you know, basketball-wise, has there has there been any burning takes you've been waiting to get off? I mean, anything... You've noticed over the last couple of weeks working at Whistle. Actually, that's even a better place to go right now. What's it been like working at, you know, a, a sports media company right now in the wake of there being no sports? What's What's been kind of like your insider experience here? Uh, we've had to, you know, dig deep in the archives a little bit. And I mean, the only thing we could really do is, um, and it's, it's kind of not some secret sauce, but it's it's just what everyone kind of has to do. And it's, nostalgia and streaming and just trying to basically keep people occupied. I mean, that's all we can really do at this point. There's, it's not like one league or one sport is canceled. It's everything is, you know, suspended up for who knows how long. So, uh, it's just unfortunate, but you know, uh, working at whistle, basically that's, we're just trying to focus on, you know, we'll stream a little bit. Uh, so if anybody's trying to hop on and play anything, Fortnite, 2K, uh, I want to do COD, but I'm unsure if that's brand safe enough for us to do right now. So that's on hold. But, I mean, hit me up. It's just at Kyle Maggio on uh, PlayStation, and uh, let's let's stream some stuff. We can do that for 2K also. I'd like to play some of the remaining matchups uh, to fill that void. You know, play a little like Nick Celtics tonight. I think that'd be fun or, well, you know, last night for you folks listening, uh, to this pod, but, um, I don't know. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, we got to fill it, fill that void somehow. Full disclosure. I've still been playing uh 2k 19 for the last year. And I feel like it's not really worth it to buy a new 2k game every year. I do every um, two years typically. Yeah. So like I'm on 19 right now and like, Pretty much my 2K experience is, or, you know, last year I was playing a little bit online, but my 2K experience this year has been uh, largely me just running a my team kind of simulation up until the 2040s, um, where, you know, I'm constantly loading in, like, historic draft classes and just dropping them in the middle of the season. So, like, you randomly have, like, a team with, like, old-ass Zion, Zion Williamson at, like, 35 years old and, like, a 22-year-old Magic Johnson passing him the ball and, like, all that kind of shit. So, uh, but, yeah, I think in the wake of everything that's going on, I'm going to have to uh, renew my PlayStation Plus account and go get that 2K20 because, uh, yeah, I need to start playing online again. Oh, did I, uh, you know, we have some air to fill on this podcast, but did I tell you guys my tragic PlayStation story? So, boom, trying to stream for a whistle yesterday. 
or two days ago rather and um trying to get twitch set up trying to log out of the Nix wall which is like almost default half of my things logged into is the Nix wall and so i log out you know make sure i'm, I'm not doing a, a whistle stream for the Nix wall right and then i log back in and i log in under whistle everything's good right i sync it up checks out cool i do the broadcast it, it gets stuck saying preparing so it's not letting me enter the broadcast so i was like strange so trying to figure it out reset it a few times nothing's working so all of a sudden i go to like back out of it and then my playstation like force resets and i was like okay that's not good and then uh it tries to turn back on and then it can't and then it's like oh like it, it cannot like it cannot start or whatever error like you have to upload the like the update like i had to manually update it basically so i had to go on my computer download and an update for the playstation on a flash drive put it on but then that didn't work so i had to so i had to reset the playstation to factory settings was the only chance the like way that i could salvage it so i had to wipe it clean so did you like were you able to remove your hard drive from it first no i don't know how to do that it's like right on the front of it you can just like pull the fucking hard drive right out i didn't know that yeah that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I wiped Sorry. everything. Sorry, bud. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it needed to be in there in order for it to be factory reset. But I don't know. I'll take a look after this because I didn't think I could take anything output. Yeah. Uh, anywho, so devastating. Devastating, very much so. Uh, also devastating is the fact that, or you know, depending on what lines you look through, but the next season is over. Uh, well, temporarily suspended, I guess, but. For all purposes right now, the next season has ended. Um, what did the what did the temporarily final record end up being? I should have that in front of me. The Knicks ended up finishing up to this point in the season twelfth in the East with a twenty-one and forty-five record uh, in sixty-six games. Isn't that exactly how many games the lockout uh, the twenty eleven twelve season ended up running? I think it was. I thought it was fifty something for the lockout. I thought it was sixty six. Yeah, because because the NBA season right now, well, for at least the Knicks, a couple of teams looks like they went to like forty seven, forty eight, or sixty seven, sixty eight. But the Knicks finished with sixty six games, which I found to be kind of funny. Yeah, the twenty eleven twenty twelve season was sixty six regular season games. Oh, oh, that's funny. Kind of stuff right at the same time. Uh, But anyway, so yeah, they they're uh, they finished just above the Hawks or the. they finished just above the Cavaliers, the Hawks, and the Pistons in the East. Um, we had, I mean, I guess where do we want to start with free agency here? Kind of go through some, you know, the highlights and the lowlights of this uh, this uh, season that we with this team that we love so much. Sure, yeah. Was, uh, I feel like I'm going to use all my draft talk on draft season anyway. So yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, I feel like the Knicks, se- the 2019-20 Knicks season began at um, you know 11:59 p.m. on June 30th, 2019, with Kevin Durant announcing that he was signing with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so we knew that was off the table. We knew Kyrie would be going there too, and then the Knicks ended up getting into their um, you know their contingency plan, 
And do we remember who the first free agency uh, signing was for them? For the Knicks? Yeah, for yeah, you know, in, uh, in this summer. Julius Randle was the first. Yeah, Randall. He was Julius like Randall immediately came after Durant, yeah. It, it, like seconds after, it felt like. As, yeah. as soon as they wanted to be right behind that, basically. So yeah. Julius Randle is the contingency plan who comes into place. God, and then, yeah, and then we... Uh, Slowly but surely, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we we start acquiring uh, Taj Gibson. We get uh, Peyton was way later on. Bullock was like signed initially, but then he ended up kind of backing out, um, or they had to rework his contract because of his whole uh, you know the whole medical thing. Um, you had Marcus Morris came along, and uh, you know towards the end of free agency. Or the you know, the end of uh, the initial burst of free agency, and Wayne Ellington signing in. Um, so yeah, you had you had all the all you know you had all these players come and join the team. Uh, not exactly the splashy signing that the uh, Knicks thought they would have, but we had R.J. Barrett. We were kind of ready to roll into the summer league. Um, what did what were your summer league? Do you guys remember your summer summer league takeaways for? Uh, you know, after with R.J. Barrett and uh, and Iggy Brasdakis, it was a panic at first because R.J. was pretty bad the first day. Right, but each each game was much better, and by the end of it, I was very hopeful. Do you guys remember and... when the craziest thing that happened to the NBA was an earthquake that happened at summer league? Yo, shit, that's right. Yeah. I could that. Yo, <laughs> no, 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 why no, no, no. Stop it. Hold on. The earthquake right. didn't. The earthquake didn't happen at summer league. Oh, that's Alonzo right. Yeah, Alonzo Trier caused the earthquake <laughs> at Summer League. People forget this. He was dunking at that exact moment. You know the sad part? This is, this is factual. Highlight. That's the highlight of his season as a Nick. Yeah. It's, it's criminal that they didn't it's criminal they didn't play him more. It's um, criminal. Yeah, so that's probably had, the biggest gripe on the season, honestly. Criminal. League, league worst offense. League worst offense. We don't play the most efficient guard we have. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we have, pan- we have panic about RJ. Stupid. We have the panic about RJ at first, and then he ends up having some big games. Iggy has some big games. Uh, you know, they're both good to go in there. Uh, we start getting into the, the season, the preseason, and, you know, but um, do we still have our initial predictions from earlier this season uh, in the back of our heads? Yeah, I said uh, we, did uh, the round ta- we did the Knicks Wall roundtable at the beginning of the season, and we all made predictions. Um, I believe mine was twenty-eight wins. Yeah, I think I said thirty. I want to say th- I was in that same neighborhood, so I don't feel as stupid because I think if the season ever finished, and to be clear, I think we're done seeing Knicks basketball. Even if basketball does come back, I think they'll go right into the playoffs. But yeah, I think they were on pace to win like 25-27. I think and I have to go back and listen to that pod, but I'm almost certain I said 27. I said between like if I didn't say an exact number, I said I have like, them in front of me right now. I think I said before 20 like between 24 and 27. Okay, so I'm going to go down the list of all of our uh, staff because I think it's, it's it would be a good idea to just kind of call out our staff right now, too, because thank you, everybody, on our Drag staff us. for doing everything you did this year. <laughs> uh, Stone Strangman. Stoney. Uh, 31 and 51. Damn, Stoney. Brian, Brian Gibberman, <laughs> 25 and 30. Okay. That's accurate. Aaron Summers, 29 and 53. Okay. Okay. 
Kyle Maggio. 2755. Hey, there it is. Jess Reinhardt, 2755. Okay. Kevin Lewis, 29 games. Uh <laughs> Ryan Gray, uh who are we gonna talk about Ryan, what Ryan put out later nope, on the show? Not yet. Not yet? All right, we're, we're gonna we have something new from Ryan, but we're gonna talk about that uh in a couple of weeks. Um <laughs> the tease. Ryan goes, I don't care if we go two and eighty as long as those two wins are against the Mavs, I'll be happy. <laughs> that is the, this is the only the Mavs, time Mavs. the Knicks have delivered on one of our preseason demands. Yep, yep. They beat the Mavs twice. That was it. Uh boy, did they, beat the, they beat the shit out. They beat the shit out of the Mavs. It's like a minute to appreciate it. They yeah, beat the shit that was, out of That was the highlight of the season for sure. Gl- gl- the game in Dallas is unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, I mean they oh, okay. Continue. It was great. Um, oh God, there is some uh, uh, crazy shit in here. Um, okay, where were we? John Priest. Uh, I don't want to know. 22 wins, I think, was his quote. Hey, he's the closest one right now. Uh, Reed Goldsmith, 26 and 56. Jared Hamburg, 32 and 50. Um, I said... 27 and 55 with RJ Barrett runner up in the rookie of the year race. It's not quite there. Um, okay, quick pause for me to um, Sean, disclaimer if I butcher your name, but Sean Geddes, uh, oh, Jesus, dude. <laughs> God damn it. 43 and 39. Oh, <laughs> he goes, Duck says chairs are thrown at the idea of optimism. <laughs> I I warned him. I told him to walk it back immediately. I was like, "This is not." I was like, "Even for an optimist, this is too optimistic." Like the optimism, the, the realistic optimism scale tapped out at like low thirties, in my opinion. If a lot broke right, and that seems to be true. Like if RJ had been like slightly better, slightly more consistent slash efficient this year, if Mitchell had started games instead of coming off the bench, you know, little th- little things like that. Um, Yo, the Amare team went 42 and 40. Like, uh, the Amare Mello team, the first year, went fucking 42 and 40. <laughs> this team was going to go 43 and 30, or this team was going to go 43-39. That's crazy. I told them. Um, last <laughs> prediction we have on here right now, and there are more members of the uh, Knicks Wall staff, and thanks to you all, but uh, Stephen Lewis had us at 34 and 48 which is also optimistic, but not quite as crazy as Sean's like 43 and 39, <laughs> dude. Oh, we love you. Um, all right. So, yeah, I would say uh, I, I think some of our predictions were a little, were pretty much on. I think that we were mainly kind of thinking they would be a, a high 20s team, probably about like 10th in the East or so. They fall a little bit short of that. They fought, you know, they were, 12th in the east um you know i like i had them like missing like missing out on a playoff spot by a good margin but not quite tanking territory was where i where i pictured them to be yeah pretty much i just thought they were going to be a regular bad team yeah like that was my stance was like last year they were historically bad this year i don't think it'll actually be any good which means the only reasonable route for them to go is to improve by what five to seven games because you have 
NBA actual NBA players on your roster now. Like I feel like that was the only course of action. Like it just I, I couldn't see anything else. And uh, as always, don't want to toot my own horn, but not wrong. So let's take a look at the uh, let's take a look at like the first chunk of the season here. Let's talk about like September to December or so. Um, I guess we can really just kind of talk about the season in two chunks. So let's, let's just talk about it in two chunks here. Let's go uh, Fizdale era, and then let's go Mike Miller era. Um, so from the beginning of the season up until the point when David Fizdale was fired, uh, which was in the middle of December. Let's get the date for that. Uh, I believe it was early January. Oh, was it early January? I'm all mixed up here. I believe so. Um. But regardless, let's let's figure it out from there. So right as the season was kind of beginning on the Fizdale era, what was the kind of I, the, I, the first thing I was kind of noticing was, you know, there was going to be spacing issues if there was nothing we were going to be able to do about it. Um, it was December 6, 2019. Fizdale was fired. Okay. Um, so the spacing was an apparent problem from the very beginning. And I would say that that and RJ Barrett's free throw was kind of the, the biggest initial issues that I remember seeing early on in the season. Yeah, I feel like Fizdale was not... To, all right, I'll play devil's advocate first. I feel like he was sold on something that he never got to use. He wanted to coach Porzingis. Never happened. He thought he was going to coach Duran and Kyrie. Didn't happen. And I feel like his system was very ISO-heavy. So for that, I don't fault him. I do fault him for not adjusting whatsoever. I don't know what possessed him to think that, all right, I don't have Kevin Durant. Let me use Julius Randle. Or I don't have Porzingis. Let me use Julius Randle. And Marcus Morris will be my other ISO scorer, and everything will be fine. The fact that he went through with that for two months is just baffling. And anyone who defends him now is just either a sheep or I don't know. I don't know what else to say to you. Yeah, I mean, I like David Fisdale. I advocated for him strongly. I enjoy, I was excited about the hire. I thought that was a good move. Uh, I thought based on a lot of the, the numbers from what he did in Memphis, it made a lot of sense. He did get them to play much smaller, much faster, shoot much more from deep, uh, shoot better from deep, uh, much less mid-range. Um, it made tons of sense to assume that at least some of that would uh, translate over and we I mean it was there was no change from what he inherited I mean at least with you know Jeff Hornacek here they were running backdoor cuts and and screens and some off ball I mean it wasn't great but I mean at least he was a coach you know what I mean uh Fizdale just didn't have it it was just like a very like there was no system it was just ISO it was just get the ball ISO ISO just one like one pass one shot like th- there was no offense there's no movement it's just i mean watch why a year of emmanuel moutier iso ball pretty much and then you know beginning of this year was just a mess couldn't win a game to save his life i it's rather unfortunate you know i, I wanted it to work out um i i'm still a little bit baffled as to even you know despite the roster not being good how he couldn't get them to play faster or shoot more threes at least with, you know, have a better shot profile. Uh, I'm very confused by how 
it seemed like they at that, least tried to go after shooters in free agency, like with with Ellington, they, Bullock, and like Ellington's shot kind of disappeared on him this year. It, it in the did, but they don't. The thing is, they don't run a system that is good for shooters. Like the the good system would be the smart system would be the one that they keep stumbling on accidentally with their lineups is, you know, give RJ the ball, let him be a decision maker with it, give him shooters and spacing. And then all of a sudden look at all these wide open threes that he was generating and seeing, and the floor was so wide open and it helps him get better looks at the rim and wherever he wanted, like that was the way to do it. But the issue is nobody ever does the obvious thing with this team, with the roster. That's the issue. Like, we see them, there's flashes of it when they do something competent, whether it's accidentally or not. And then, like, they, they don't go back to it. Like, Mitchell Robinson playing better and better and better, and they still don't start him. It's like, just, what are you doing? Just just start him. Still playing 30 minutes a game, but maybe we'll stop starting off game slow. You know what I mean? Maybe by the time he comes into the game, he could actually help us obtain a lead, you know, and not work to go get one. It's... I don't know. We just we Fisdale didn't do enough to implement whatever system it was he was trying to implement. If there was one, it's just very sad. What was your breaking point with Fisdale? Mine was when he consciously, he actually explicitly said, "Yeah, we're trying to defend the paint, not the three point line." That was like when I just, you know, washed my hands. I was just like, "Fuck this guy, get him out of my sight." Um. Breaking point? I, I never really have, like, one breaking point. It's usually, like, you just – for me, it's always, like, I just slowly realize the jig is up. So, like, it's like, all right, I go game by game. So, it's like, after, like, 10 games, it's like, all right, well, still nothing. You know, 20 games, okay, well, still nothing. Halfway through the season, well, I, I'm not seeing anything from this guy. Second half of the season, still nothing. You know, then they get Dennis Smith Jr., who – if nothing else is a, a athletic point guard who likes to push the pace, which you should need in this NBA, whether or not he's actually good anymore is a different story. But um, so I thought, okay, well, at least I got him. Maybe that's how they're going to start pushing the pace and everything. And second half of last year, it did at least look like that a little bit. Right. And I think at least I said, well, I'll give him until next year to like get a training camp with Dennis, start with Dennis and see what happens. And then they sign Alfred Payton, which I think we all kind of knew meant Alfred Payton was going to end up starting. It just it felt that right. way. It always felt that way. They were uh, going to push Dennis Smith and Neil Aquina for the backup spot. It felt yeah, like. which which to me was just so silly. It was like, why are we like like what are we what are we doing? Now I don't know. I'm not trying to make excuses for Dennis Smith Jr. Obviously, because he forgot how to play basketball this year. But it was just like every time they go to like do something or even when they like stumble into a guy which would correctly identify with what Fisdale's system should have been they don't, they don't use it they're just like all right cool we'll just get off for pain and he'll just pound the air out of the ball for 20 seconds trying to find an assist and that, that's the offense it's like i just don't know how we always come to this these same like terrible conclusions it's just very unfortunate so that's why i just go game by game and then they eventually break me down and eventually you just realize like the jig is up like beginning of this year. I think when Alfred was going to start, I was like, well, all right, I, I expect nothing from this team this year. And yeah, yeah. Just to put a bow on the first half, it was a mix of, it was just a perfect storm of bad luck, bad coaching and bad roster construction because Wayne Ellington yeah, not be- being able to shoot. That's just shit luck. Smith was hurt. I feel like the whole year. 
before we get to before we turn the page over here to mike miller like is there a specific game maybe that sticks out or a play or any sort of highlight or low light that you guys can remember from like that first half of the season under Fizzdale? Frank going off in Dallas for sure. That was probably like the most mm. exciting like two week stretch of the season for me at least. Because Frank, it, we've been talking about it for a couple of years and we sounded like fanboys. And for that two week stretch, and I, we'll talk about the second half momentarily, he's been showing that potential that we've all been saying it's there, it's there. So that Dallas series, that Dallas, I guess, mini series, because it was so close together, that's probably my favorite or most memorable part of the first half. Yeah, the Dallas the Dallas games were great, great fun. Um, just very, very, very enjoyable. But uh, I don't, I don't know, man. There really wasn't anything memorable for me uh, with the Fizdale era. I mean, the only thing that I found like memorable or enjoyable or you know kind of one-off moments mostly from last season like them getting that big win against the lakers which ultimately meant nothing but that was fun in a, in a singular game kind of a sense uh you know initially i've always been a big dennis Smith junior fan but like seeing him go off a little bit when he first got here when he went off for like 31 in detroit like that was fun to say, like, actually have a point guard playing well one night was actually fun. Uh, and when we, anyway, I had some kind of belief in him still, which is unfortunate where we're at now. But, uh, so that was good. But I mean, this year, I just, I, don't, I was just so, like, once they started playing and I saw the, the, the lot, like, I, I don't know, it was just so gross. Like, I was like, all right, man. But, well, yeah. There was no, like, it was, it was a little hard to say, it was a little hard to stay checked in. I will say just, uh, the first Dallas game this season where the Knicks uh, uh, the Knicks won, uh, beat them 106-102. Greg Nielakina's, uh, his box score of that game was 14 points, uh, six rebounds, four assists, four steals, and three blocks in 37 minutes. So, uh, yeah, that was a big high point for me. I think I can say, like, We'll get to this a little bit more a little later on, but he his kind of growth, which came in spurts and kind of really kind of solidifying a little bit more towards the end, but his growth was one of the the biggest things for me this season. Um, yeah, Matt. All right, so oh, you want to get something in on Frank? Yeah, well, not that. The, just the Mav game at MSG. I feel like that was the only time MSG felt like the 2013 season, I guess. That's probably like yeah, that was fun. few and far between this year. Yeah, I, I feel like I didn't get back up to that level. Like when Marcus Morris hit that three, that building was shaking, and that was the first and last time. Yeah. Um. So David Fizell gets fired on December 9th. Mike Miller, uh, who was the Westchester coach last year, was an assistant coach before that this year. Uh, Mike Miller steps up and becomes the Knicks' new head coach. Um, the one thing I will say that really stuck out to me from this era and is something that stuck out to, uh, me from the David Fisdale era too, is we still had huge spacing issues and we still had the reluctance. We, we were starting Taj Gibson for the vast majority of the year over Mitchell Robinson for one reason or another. 
Um, we had, you know, we still had these moments where Bobby Portis was soaking up all this, all this time and all this energy and all these minutes. Um, and, you know, clogging up the lane so RJ Barrett couldn't do what makes him, you know, what makes him good. And, you know, and even like you couldn't have guy, you had him getting in the ways of guys like, you know, uh, Julius Randle, who had a mostly lost year here. And, uh, you know, several, uh, many of the other bigs that we signed. I mean, Marcus Morris did super well on the perimeter until he was traded and, and really led this team. But, you know, he, you know, he was able to work around it. The rest of the guys on the team really weren't able to do that. And you could see some huge issues on the inside. So, I mean, though Mike Miller did get, I mean, the team, I don't know if it's more of a factor of him or if it's a factor of the team just kind of coming a little bit more together in January and in February a little bit more. But uh, they did, you know, start winning some games. And I think that you could see some semblance of them being able to work around each other, but nothing that would lead its way to winning basketball by any means. I feel like initially he started he started out good because he his first mission was finding Julius Randle the right place to attack, which he did for, you know, first 10 or so games where he moved Julius Randle outside. So when Julius Randle was either driving to the rim or spotting up. So that was good. But kind of the same thing with Fisdale where it's like, why aren't you playing the right people? That's what led me like Miller. Miller has led me to believe that the front office is influencing who's playing, which obviously is false, but that's the way I feel when I watch the games because Mitch, right now if the season ends, which I'm assuming it is over, Mitch has the highest field goal percentage in the league. He should be starting, and he's not. Frank or Dennis should be starting at point guard over Elf. Like, that's not debatable. I don't care who says otherwise. So that's where my frustration is with Miller. Overall, he's he's not bad. He's not good. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you on maybe the front office has a say because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I remember when I was at one of the games, I think it was the time they were playing the Magic. I asked them uh, um, pregame what the deal was with Mitchell Robinson's minutes. And um, if he was, you know, going to be starting at any point, and because you know, I've, a lot of people felt he had earned it, and uh, basically they told us, you know, well, if you check the last couple games, he's been on an upward trajectory uh, for a little while, you know, and he, and if we're going to like keep on that track, and and basically to a point where he would eventually start. So I said, okay, that makes sense, thanks. And then after the game. I checked when well, after the game during the game. I checked the, the minutes uh, for Mitchell's box score, and he was not on an upward trajectory. In fact, uh, the four games before that, he had played less than thirty minutes, and I think uh, two of them were a decline from the one from the game before. So it was. So so what is the trajectory? What is that? That's not a trajectory, it's, it's, and it's not upward. Especially, like, don't tell me the last couple games. I mean, I can see the box score, man. I can Google it. You know what I mean? At least lie better if you're going to lie about it, you know? So it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating. But that's why I think, like, yeah, maybe somebody else has a say in it because it, like, some of this stuff makes too much sense. If the season ended today and, and they canceled it, standings are what they are. I don't know how you proceed. But, like, if it truly does end and there's no resolution to the, the, the you know, the finality of the season, then, 
Mitchell Robinson, I think he breaks the all-time field goal record, uh, field goal percentage record, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. Like, th- doesn't he, he? He breaks Will Chamberlain's. So like, he does that, and we know like he's top five, I believe, if the season is today in total blocks and blocks per game. I think he's fifth in both. Awesome. Oh, yep. So, so he does that and breaks the all-time field goal percentage off the bench, but he's not starting on a team that's not good and desperately needs a, a very impactful star and starting caliber player. And, and he's coming off the bench. Um, it's, it's laughable. So I think, I don't know what the issue is with starting some of these guys. And I get, you know, you want to look like an NBA team and have NBA players on the floor. I understand that. I understand you want to look respectable and not just bank on these kids making you look bad if they actually aren't very good and, and you took the wrong picks. Uh, and it's not just a rough patch in their development. I understand. But there's guys who are clear-cut good now, like Mitchell Robinson, who are NBA players and are going to be stars in this league. And they need to play, and they need to start. And it's not just about playing 30 minutes off the bench, because a lot of those minutes are against second units. And while that's great, Mitchell Robinson, part of his development, needs to be playing against starters. So it's like, why are you, you're hurting yourself? It just doesn't make sense in the short or long term. You have a very good player right now who needs to be playing against the other team's better players to help you neutralize them. Like, I just don't know why we're keeping him on the bench. And and the foul thing, just please save it. We've debunked it a thousand times. It's not a real thing. Everybody struggles with fouls, especially centers, especially shot-blocking centers. If he's not going to play through foul trouble, it makes very little sense for him to even play the game of basketball. He's a center. If he's contesting shots, he's always going to be in foul trouble. He needs to learn how to play with them. So I, I just don't know what they're doing or not doing with Mitchell Robinson. That part is very frustrating to me. But the other guys, I can at least try to talk myself into like, well, Knox is actually not very good. Okay, I see why they want these other wing players to play a little bit more. I can I can get it, you know. But then it's like, well, what the hell did Alonzo Trier do to anybody? You know, he was very efficient last year as an undrafted guard it's like i thought he more than proved he he needs some kind of minutes even as a sixth seventh man and he's getting nothing uh, and we have one of the the worst offensives in in the league yet again and it's like we, we don't play him so it's like little things like that dotson being consistent every single time he's on the floor shooting like over a league average from deep playing good strong physical defense he could play he guards anybody one through four and it's like even then, why is he not playing? For what? You know, it's like th- those little things bother me. It's like th- these are like layup no-brainers, and they choose to just have names, I guess, of NBA veterans that they value more than some of these guys. But it, it's it's frustrating to say the least. It's very. I think that's the, the biggest feeling from this season was frustration for a lot of fans. It's like we finally, finally, like all were brought into the rebuild, you know, as a whole, as a unit, as a fan base, everyone was like, fine, we'll do the rebuild. We don't care. We'll do the long one. And then even then, no matter how we feel about the kids and their development, they need to play. Like they need to play no matter how high or low you are in them. Like you, you need to play them. You need to see what you got or else what's the point of drafting them. So we're all brought into the rebuild and then they don't, they don't like go through with it. Basically they, they kind of half-ass it. Uh, they they get R.J. Barrett. They stumble ass backwards into a good you know a good good draft pick like R.J. Barrett, and and they 
put him, you know, with the worst possible lineups that you could have put him. Like you didn't just watch him at Duke and see the types of lineups that you needed to avoid. And, and he's like in a somehow worse situation. It's like, what? Like, please just like be smart a little bit. Just one time, just be smart. Like, I, I don't know where these decisions are coming from, but just, I, I hope with this Leon Rose era, just, just get competent basketball people back. I, I don't care. So, they don't got to be brilliant. Just be better. So we're going to keep going for a little bit longer here, but uh, and I want to get into the Leon Rose era. But first, I want to uh, I got to go through this ad read that we have here. Um, currently, no NBA, NHL or college basketball. You might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet online still has hundreds of places to wager from their online casino to poker and blackjack all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise. If you're into entertainment, you can bet on American Idol, you can the elections, the spelling bee, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online your new ticket to action to online action. All right. Uh so Leon Rose era begins uh the day that Steve Mills is fired. Uh let me get the exact date up real quick uh february 4th so steve mills is ousted as president scott perry hangs on uh takes on both roles for a little while until uh we start hearing some rumblings about uh leon rose uh you know joining the team but starts to get weird that he hasn't signed uh there's stuff about uh you know the knicks have just before that steve stout joined them as a uh, brand advisor and uh, Worldwide West was supposed to come in, and he might be, you know, he's not coming in an official capacity, but should be along the team now. But ultimately, it comes down to former agent Leon Rose. He had to uh, do some stuff with the Dwayne Wade reti- uh, jersey retirement ceremony before he could officially sign the contract. Uh, but all, get, all that gets out of the way. Leon Rose joins. He puts out a letter that says he'll be working in the background for the rest of the season, you know, to get things prepared for next season and to, you know, change the team up. Uh, but we don't really know anything about what his plans are, what his vision's looking like, um, you know, anything of that matter. So things are still pretty unknown on that in that respect. But um, I mean, by the time we get to this point in the season, by the time we get to early February, like it's pretty clear that the, uh, this season is a, is a wash for really, I mean, competitively it's already done there, but we're really not seeing too much signs of growth. We are getting ready to trade Marcus Morris at this point. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are really the two big turning points in the, uh, you know, at this, at the back half of this season was the, uh, you know, the obviously Steve Mills being fired, new president comes in, uh, in Leon Rose, and then you trade away your best players after the best season of his career. And the Knicks ended up getting a draft pick for that. And that's a, I think they lucked out there because given the state of where things are right now, Marcus Morris only played 12 games for the Clippers. So, um, but yeah, in New York this season, Morris averaged 19.6 points, uh, almost uh, five and a half rebounds a game uh, shot, you know, very well. He was, he was, uh, he had a 85% like free throw percentage. He was, he had a, he was shooting like over 44% for the field. Like he was doing it, uh, you know, he, as our leading scorer and really the only guy who can make it happen on the team. 
uh, you know, on a night to night basis. And then he was, uh, you know, ousted to the Clippers. The Knicks got the first round pick they were trying to get. And I think everyone was about ready to check out on this team at that point. Um, I know that's, I mean, honestly, that's pretty much, pretty much when I called it for the season too. Like it, it's, it, it was just getting frustrating to see them try to put together some stretches, but they did have some runs after that. Like there was a couple of games at the end of the season this year where the Knicks seemed to pull it together. I mean, like we're talking about that one, there was that Chicago win. There was the Houston win, uh, you know, and the, the last Atlanta win of the season. Like there were some, some big moments for the team at that point where you could just see some of the young talent was able to get a little bit more run on the court. Yeah. It's a bit of a weird spot. And I'm happy we have that draft pick. Remember when people were freaking out about possibly trading Morris? <clears throat> Excuse me, since he wanted, since he was, since he wanted to be here. But I don't know. I feel like Leon Rose. I think we already went over this, where it's yeah, we'll believe it when we see it type of thing because we've rolled out the red carpet for other people, and nothing's really changed for the last seven years. And there's not much to change drastically this offseason unless they pull off a big trade. So for Leon Rose, I just want a good coach first. That's like my first order of business. Well, who knows what ends up happening, you know, with the actual offseason now, you know, when that actually happens and all that stuff. But like putting that aside for the moment, they still do have all those player options or those team options they can let go of on, you know, guys like Bobby Portis and the like. Um, So I wonder what ends up being his move with all that stuff. But uh, I guess we could talk off season in, in just a few minutes now and, and what the Knicks should pivot to from there. But uh, Kyle, did you have anything that kind of stood out for you for the back half of the season? Um, I mean, I was impressed with RJ, uh, that little stretch he had, uh, the kind of, cl- I wouldn't say close the season out, but I mean, he was playing better since the all-star break pretty considerably. Um, I was enjoying seeing how he was going to finish the rest of the season. Uh, that was my central reason for watching. But, um, you know, I mean, that was it was good to see him get back on track a little bit and pick up some of those averages. Um, before he went through that last slump, he had almost gotten his three-point average up to 34%. And his field goal percentage was like 42-ish percent. And then he went through this nasty slump where both those came, things uh, came down. I think he was shooting 30% from deep and like 38.5% from the field. And then after this little stretch, I think he had just finished the season at like 40 and 32%. So it was just nice to see him like fight back a little bit and try to get those averages up. And I thought they were playing him with some better lineups finally, uh, I felt. And I thought, you know, he had a chance to really close the year on a high note. So kind of bummed he's going to miss like a whole month and a half or so of his rookie season. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, Frank, and R- Frank and RJ was, that's probably actually, yeah, that's probably my biggest takeaway. They were, they were really good together. Yeah. They yeah. figured out a nice little duo, you yeah. know, and I know we were all, all of us, literally all of us, no matter how we felt about Dennis, we wanted to see him and him and Frank like start and play together. And we never, we never really got that, you know, and at least we saw RJ and Frank be together and not just together, but like competent and uh, had some decent chemistry. And it was nice because they're both very smart basketball players. And when you have two of those guys out there, good basketball tends to start happening. So 
I was encouraged. I kind of hope the Knicks keep Frank on the low. I would. I am encouraged to see how those two play together. Uh, I just hope that they actually make Frank an actual part of the future, like an actual like. All right, bro, you're getting 25, 30 minutes a night, every single night. No excuses. We'll move you around a lot, but we got to have you on the floor. Like, yeah. I, at that point, I don't care where you play him. But if you're just like, look, like we need you out there, basically, like figure it out where you're going to get your points from, where you're going to pick your spots. But I, that little duo was was nice. I, I enjoyed watching them try to you know go to work together a little bit. Yeah, and I want Frank's role going forward to be fluctuate between Fabo Cephalosha, where he's a starter that doesn't need the ball to be effective, or Tony Allen, like when Tony Allen was on the Celtics, or even the Grizzlies. I don't think he started for the Grizzlies. But anyway, that defender off the bench who's definitely going to play down the stretch to stop the opposing team's best player, I feel like that should solidify Frank as like one of I think three people should definitely stay on the team. Team's core plans, Mitch, RJ, and Frank, and then whoever they draft whenever the draft I, does happen. I definitely stand by my Frank stance uh, around draft time. I said his like his ceiling reminded me of like Nick Batum. Like I stand by yeah. that. I feel like that secondary playmaker, I'll knock down some open threes, I can get to the rim, and I could play make a little bit. Play good defense. Remember, Nick Batum was like a, a very good defender for a, a short period of time, too. So, like, Frank can can probably be a better defender than that, I hope. And it's like, you know, if you can do that and then start to do a couple of those types of things, like, you could fit in. Like, anybody could use a Nick Batum is what I'm saying. Like, those kinds of guys have that fluidity to be able to be like, all right, I can score a little bit more tonight. You know, oh, instead of 10 tonight, you need me to give you 15, 16. Okay, no problem. Oh, you need me to play make a little bit tonight? All right, I'll get you like seven-ish assists. Like, I feel like Frank's ceiling is like that kind of player where his his game-to-game stats maybe aren't super flashy, but they're like consistent-ish, you know? So we'll see. It, it'd be nice if they – I don't know what a, an extension would look like for Frank right now. I don't even want to speculate, but it'd be nice if they got him for – cheap and actually kept him for a little bit what you know a little bit i think he could be a part of some winning basketball yeah i'd give him like i would give him like 10 to 12 a year right would you is that still like ridiculously i would give him I, personally i give him i try to keep him under 10 um i i mean eight ish okay. i don't know if that sounds ridiculous to people i'm not the, the the salary cap guy here but eight seems fair i i don't know if i'd want to give him like four years 40 million i don't know it seems a bit much for yeah, true. His Let's inconsistent production. I mean, I'd want to give him seven, eight, and and three years ish, and and go from there. I would still probably go for the four for forty or something. I mean, I again, like I'm not super versed in salary cap or anything either. But like, yeah, something around like Exum's deal that is was. probably about. I'm gonna right. try to find a way. Um, I, I think he was about. He was somewhere around like probably ten or twelve ish a year. I think it was. You might have gotten like a four for forty four or something of that nature. Yeah. Well, I would still try um, and lowball. Not lowball, but you know, like Kyle's yeah. Kyle's price range. That's where I would start for sure. I feel like he's going to be. A, you're going to get him for slightly above what his value is, but I, I don't see him crossing like a fifteen million threshold. Oh no! Like oh, oh no! I, I would I would start him low. I mean, if All I was right, so XM made eleven per year, three years thirty. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, three thirty three. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd honestly give for I would uh, my. Negotiation with Frank would start like five to six, and then 
they'd probably want 12-ish, and then I'd well, probably he, come up to like eight to nine. You know what I mean? I mean, like he, I, he's making what, – what is he making now? He's got to be making like five and a half now. I believe so. I think that with the ex- – So, it's, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess eight, nine is where – I would, yeah. I would that's why I think. I, I think I, his value. I, I think his value sits around eight or nine, but I think you end up paying around eleven. I, I, I would not want to. I would be queasy about paying him. So twelve-ish, but right now he's making four point eight. Next year he will make six point one. His qualifying offer is in that eight million range, so it's not off. I think they can yeah. get him at nine, nine or even eight. I think that that's possible. I would say I, I would say between nine nine and twelve is where I expect to see him. Play. Yeah, twelve is between, where I get a little queasy. Right, exactly. Um, so let's let's do this to wrap the well to wrap up this little section here, um, and then we'll talk about the off season after this. But I want to go through a couple of players on the roster at the very least, um, and we'll keep it short. Let's get, let's try to keep these to you know like less than two minutes a player and stuff, but. I'm going to go down to the roster and just give me, uh, you know, maybe your your takeaway for that player for the season and uh, whether you expect him or would like him to be on the roster for next year. So I'm just going to start going down the order that basketball reference has him in right now. And we're starting with Bobby Portis here. Um, would be perfectly Bobby, fine never watching Bobby Portis play basketball ever again. Bobby Portis played 66 games for the Knicks, uh, started five of them, played 21 minutes a game, uh, shot 45% from the floor, nearly 36% from three, uh, finished with 10 points a game, 0.3 blocks a game, five re- 5.1 rebounds a game. Uh, and I very much share that same opinion that Kyle has. He's on a team option for next year. I believe like $4 million of his contract is guaranteed or something of that nature. Um, I would be very pleased with the Knicks cutting him. Yeah, get him out of my sight. That's that's my analysis. Yep, so that's, that's Bobby Portis there. Next we have Kevin Knox. Uh, Kevin Knox played in his second year, played 65 games for the Knicks, uh, started four of them, uh, played 17.9 minutes per game, a full uh, 10.9 minutes per game lower than his rookie season. That's uh, took Okay, his field goal makes and attempts last season are down from 4.5 and 12.2 to 2.2 and 6.2. Uh, shot nearly 36% from the floor, 32%, 30, almost 33% from three, uh, 6.4 points per game, literally half, uh, exactly half of what his averages were last season. Uh, 0.9 assists per game, 0.4 blocks per game, uh, 2.8 rebounds per game. Uh, Kevin Knox was literally half the player that he was last year. <laughs> Hey, you, you all left statistical out the most measures. important stat. What you let you missed the most important stat. He's oh, only, he, he's only he's 20, 20 years old. old. 20 yeah. years old. Yeah. He's only 20 years old. How do you leave that out? I've never I've never seen a 20 year old go out there and get 15 <laughs> he's gonna minutes be a court- and get 15 minutes of cardio like Kevin Knox does every night. <laughs> he's going to be a quarter of what he was in his 21 year old season. He's average 3.2 <laughs> points per game. I I I wish he wasn't so bad. It it makes me it makes me uncomfortable how like not good at basketball he is. Like I'm not even trying to do it to be funny or bash him, I promise you. Like like it This was a shockingly I, bad season. I, I just he just doesn't 
it's like he doesn't understand basketball. I'm not even trying to be mean. Like he never knows where his his man is on defense. The only time he makes a play on defense is when he does like the little chase down block, which is a tremendous thing when he lands it once a month. But it's like that's not the norm. You know, he's not going to be in that position normally. That's that's like a transition move typically. Right. Like his his actual half court defense, the one that we need him to be good at, like it's non-existent. So, like, I'm glad he's making a couple more blocks, and, and those were generally pretty good. But it's like, you know, the the vast majority of his defense is just not existent. His three point shooting went down statistically, not drastically, obviously, but it went down. Um, no, his, yeah, his three point shooting. Well, that's that's kind of the crazy thing to me about him is like, in just about all respects, his his uh, like percentages are not super far off of what they were last year. I, yeah, I mean, like his field goal percentage is down from thirty seven to thirty six percent, and his three point percentage is down from thirty four percent to uh, to thirty three, uh, thirty two percent, nearly thirty three percent. So like, but like, but his output was literally halved, and that that uh, you know that's a big sign. I mean, that mean if he was going to try to put out the exact same output that he was going to put out last year, you would expect that efficiency to be lower a little bit, and that's not a good sign for what he put up. Yeah, the saddest part about Knox is I feel like this was the perfect season to have him in the G League and, you know, really develop a game. Because he was like a a blank canvas prospect where literally draft age was one of the key things to drafting him because he has like a decent shot. It's not like there's nothing wrong with his game game. It's just awareness and not having a go-to move. And, and go ahead, right? And you touched on something very important here, where it's more than frustrating that neither coach, or maybe it's more of a front office thing, but nobody decided to utilize the G League whatsoever this season. Like, other than, I mean, we signed Kenny Wooten out of there, uh, who didn't end up appearing in a game, but we signed him to a two-way contract. But other than that, like, no. I, I don't even I don't know if any player was assigned to the G League other than like Brez Dacus throughout the entire season. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, you didn't like other than I mean, even in the past couple of years, like Neil Aquino wasn't getting burned down there, Knox wasn't getting burned down there. Steph Curry uh you would G League, man. Steph Curry. I know. It it's you didn't like the Knicks have only ever looked at it as their their like, you know, diamond in the rough patch where they could get you know, guys like uh, Trey Burke out of it or, you know, Langston Galloway before him or Kenny Wooten this season, you know, like that's, it's always been the go-to source for the Knicks instead of them using it as a tool to try to, you know, motivate their young players to become better players. Was Chris Copeland the God from G League too, or is he just summer league? Strictly summer league. He was guy? a summer league God, I think. Okay. I knew he was definitely summer league. I didn't know if he was also G League, but yeah, they treat, I wish they treated the G League, how baseball treats the minor, the AAA, I guess, where even if a guy's coming back from injury or he's just struggling, it's like, yeah, go down a level and just refine your game and come back up. And it's worked. It works in baseball. It works in basketball. We talked about it weeks ago, the Raptors with Pascal Siakam. That's how he developed his game by getting reps because he wasn't playing with the Raptors and Knox wasn't playing this year. Why are you just going to have him sit there? Yeah, I mean, so let's move on to the next player here at this point. Uh, we got a couple more to go through on this list, of course. Uh, Julius Randle is the next name here. Julius Randle, in his first year with the Knicks, played 64 games in 32.5 minutes a game. Average 19.5 points. Uh, let's see, 9.7 rebounds per game. 
3.1 assists, uh, decent box score stats in that respect, but did so on 46% field goal shooting and uh, 27% from the uh, three-point line. Um, Julius Randle, despite his good stats, was more of uh, a nuisance on this season, I would say, than uh, he was a help. He seemed to constantly be getting in the way or not have an idea of where to go. I don't think all of that was his fault. I think there were a lot of spacing issues that were out of the players' controls this season, but Randle showed that he didn't really have another gear that he could go to. His three-point shot didn't fall all season, and he... For a guy who is under contract for next season, uh, has a smaller team option the year after that, and still has, you know, is supposed to be a leader on this team. He didn't show us a whole lot of promise this year. So the first thing that I would like to say is that I think often we have this problem with the New York Knicks where um, they sign players who should be second and third options and then ask them to be the number one option. And it's a strange situation to be in when you miscast people. So they definitely pay Julius Randle to come in and be a top option on this team. And they definitely played like it, trying to always dump the ball into him and let him go to work. Uh, it did not turn, you know, into winning basketball often enough. And I'm a, pretty big Julius Randle fan. But, um, you know, I mean, if you look at some of the numbers too, I, I do remember that as hard as fans were on him for a while and as high as a lot of fans are on Frank Nielakina, they had the same net rating. I think this was as of like last month. They're both like plus six when they were on the floor. So he was, he was good. He was fine. It just didn't, it just wasn't really impactful is the issue. And this team is flawed enough as it is. And if he's your, your top guy, your top gun, like you're going to have a lot of problems. So it's, that's like my whole stance on it. I understand the frustrations with him when he's spinning into double teams and trying to force the ball up and he gets straight. Like I, I, he has many, many awards. He's far from a perfect player. I get it, but you know, he does a hell of a lot on the boards. He does bring a playmaking aspect with being able to pass the ball and assists despite the turnovers, you know, like he's efficient most of the time, you know, at least for what he's trying to do anyway, but he rebounds very well. And like, it's, it's not the right fit and it's not the right role, but it still has some positive effects. I just think we're a little bit hard on what the situation was. It was like when Tim Hardaway Jr. had to step up and be the number one option with Chris Stapps forcing us out. Of course that was going to go miserably. Of course that was. Like, what What did anybody expect? And then when they reduce his role again, oh, okay, suddenly he's a better basketball player like he was with the Hawks. So makes a lot of sense. Like, guys need to be in certain roles and certain fits. Like, not everybody is meant to be able to be the top scorer on a team and take all those shots. And have, There is a skill in needing to carry that offensive burden. And it's not right for certain guys. Some guys don't have the the full playmaking ability to do it. Some guys don't have the, uh, you know, scoring capability to fully do it. It's, it's a, it's a tough ask, man. The weird thing about Randall is I can see a clear role where I wouldn't mind him. And that's leading a second unit where he was in New Orleans. I feel like that's the perfect situation for him where he can still jock and not play high stakes moments. Whoa. 
even even like you pointed out with when Mike Miller first took over and he was spacing Julius Randle out right. much more, like he was still putting up numbers. He was putting up wild numbers. Like you you can absolutely use him correctly. Like the way to not use him is just dumping the ball into the post. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the one thing that's like abundantly clear to everybody. The Pelicans rarely did that last year. The Pelicans rarely were just like, okay, Julius, you're gonna get the ball in the black and go to work. Yeah. Like it was like all the highlights when you watch these games, it's if he does catch to there, it was like one move to the basket. And then it, the everything else is like in transition. He's dribbling. He's coming up the side of the court. You know, he's he's already he's catching the ball on the move. Like they put him in positions to be successful. Like the Knicks haven't really done that aside from when Miller first took over. Like they know how to do it. They've done it before. It just it's really to me kind of boneheaded to like go back to like, all right, we're just gonna dump the ball in the post. It's like, well, like who's signing off on this? Whose decision was this? Like we know where he's effective. We're too, we you watched him do this in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans in L.A. That's why you're signing him is because you watched him do this. Like you know how to use him, right? Why are we like purposefully going away from it, especially after you used it already and we got good results? Like what are we? What? what could, why would you possibly want to switch it up? That's what gets me. It's like we. This is part of like why not having a system sucks. But again. It is what it is. Just a very frustrating year. Right. And anyone who watched him at Kentucky like I did, that was the same shot selection he took at Kentucky when he was the number one option. The difference is this isn't college where you're bigger than your opponent a lot of times. This is the NBA where you can't just back someone down, especially where he was playing at the four. And another thing, beyond the system, I feel like they never really explored better ways to use him other than what Miller did. They never played him at a small ball center. Why not? Why not? Like they they should have yeah. because the last year he was with the Lakers, they did that a lot where he played small ball center and he was dominant. lights out. Yeah, that was like lights the out dominant stretch of his career. I think that's when like when Luke Wall was gassing him up, and I was like, oh shit, Julius Randle's actually going to be nice because I mean everyone knows I'm a big Kentucky guy, so I like when they succeed. And I was like, yo, this guy's a baller and. He gets to New York. I was hyped right after the signing, and I'm not going to say he let me down. I will say the Knicks really failed with him, probably the most. It, it's just unfortunate, man. Like, I'm just tired of people like coming here that I've seen do good things elsewhere. Like, and it's anybody. It's it's front office people. It's coaching staff. It's like Fisdale. It's Julius Randle. I'm just tired of people like I know I know that these are talented people or good people. I, they've gotten results elsewhere, and then they come here, and then like we, it's not that we don't get the same results. Like it's always like we don't come anywhere close. Is what bothers me. It's like we we always yeah. sign up for one thing, and then it's like what, what, like how are we always so far off base? Like how how are we always not doing the right thing? Isn't like, that proof that the system is broken? Yeah, man, it's it's tiring. It's tiring. Because you shouldn't be off so, that many times. Let let's uh, we're gonna. Get, I'm sure we're gonna touch on a lot of that as we go through a lot more of these players down the list here. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip through a couple of them. Do we have anything important to say on Taj Gibson? Keep him. Yeah. Fine, fine bet for the low, but I would prefer him not starting and getting as many minutes as he does now. Right. A um, couple of other. Let's let's touch on Wayne Ellington. Goodbye. Uh, the, I like the idea of, of keeping Wayne Ellington. Stop. I think 
I just, I, this is going to sound insane. I, I understand everyone should yell at me for this take, but you need good three-point shooters, and I understand he forgot how to do that this year, but he has like a decade of showing that he could do that. I would not mind him being back and giving him a second opportunity. I hate myself for saying this on the podcast. Leave me alone. I think them keeping another three-point shooter is not the worst thing in the world, even if he forgot how to shoot this year. I agree, but I'm sure Corbo, that's crazy, I'm, but yeah. I'm sure Corbo will get, is going to get to somebody very soon who I think fits that, and I would much rather have him shoot than... Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm going to say Reggie Bullock. Yep, that's him. Yep. I would definitely keep Reggie Bullock. Good shooter. I feel like we didn't even see enough of him this year because he was hurt for the first half. Another guy, good good mentality. I'll keep him. I wouldn't mind Reggie Bullock either, uh, to be quite honest. I, he played better than I thought he was going to, to be um, – to be clear. So I don't know. I mean, I'd be fine with him. These guys don't make a lot of money. It's like, yeah. and there's nobody I really, that's the issue with the 2020 for aging class. Like there's nobody like I'm tripping over myself to try to, you know, get exactly. It's, so that's why it's like, well, I mean, I guess if they keep a couple of these guys, it's not the end of the world, you know, it's like, I, yeah. I'm not really thrilled about even saying that, but I'm, 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 I'd much rather have Bullock there than uh, Ellington, but I agree. That's the general point. Is like some of these guys are going to be sticking around here. Um, Harkless, uh, he a few games with the New I York. Wouldn't, he, I wouldn't mind it. He twelve games, ten starts, six point eight points. Uh, yeah, he. This is with the forty five percent from the floor, twenty eight percent from three. I wouldn't mind uh, it, but if if we took on if we kept Harkless or got him back, I would it would probably change my like Taj stance a little bit. Like I'd I'd only want like so many of the vets that we had from last year, you know. Like I'd want only one of Reggie or Wayne probably. I I don't want yeah. I don't want to have Mo and Taj back. You know, it's like I would I would of those two, I'd probably take Reggie and Taj. Or, or my picks in that batch. Uh, given, given age, I'd probably just take Reggie and uh, Mo. But fair enough. I, and I, I also like, like that Mo can shoot. All right, let's talk about some of the more interesting players now. At this point, some of the guys that have a little bit more stakes in the actual Knicks uh, plans moving forward. Uh, next guy on my list here is Mitchell Robinson. We talked a lot about him, so we don't have to go too deep at this point. But uh, yeah, sixty-one games. 23 minutes a game, only seven starts this season, uh, 70.742% uh, uh, field goal percentage, uh, which is the best ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was, uh, I just had it up and I lost it. I think it was like 72%. Yeah. 9.7 points, uh, 7.0 rebounds, uh, two blocks per game, down a little bit from last season, but still respectable, especially coming off the bench. Um, we talked about how crucial Mitchell Robinson is to the team. Is there any specific part about his game that you guys want to highlight real quick or any specific way you want to see him use next season? Extend that shot, man. I think he can, like, if you watch him in pregame shoot shoot around, he has a jumper. It's there. It's just a matter of putting it in the game. I feel like whether it's the coaching staff not fully embracing that he can shoot or just him not feeling comfortable yet. Even just the mid-range shot, I would like. Because I really think he's – that's the next level where he becomes like, okay, this guy is all-star status. 
Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I would prefer that he master just simply anything outside of the paint. Doesn't even necessarily need to be a post game, but just some kind of little nearby jumper that he can take. Um, I wouldn't even mind that. Not even advocating for like mid range for the sake of it. It's just I want him to walk before he runs a little bit. But um, I've seen him pregame make those threes. I I know that he's capable. Um, it's never going to be in the game plan. It seems like for the foreseeable future. So I don't want to get my hopes up. But uh, he should. He does catch 